growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. When a marriage starts out, the man talks and the woman listens. Later, the woman talks and the man listens. Eventually, they both talk and the neighbors listen. Back in the 60s, the Beatles had a hit song entitled, All You Need Is Love. But when it comes to marriage, love is, all you need. is love really all you need? Two imperfect people dwelling under the same roof in close proximity to one another is a formula for disaster. I'm Rick Freeman. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Crosswalk. In our series in the book of Colossians, Pastor Clay has been walking us through this important and relevant book. Last week, we came to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18, where the Apostle Paul stated that wives should be subject or submit to their husbands. And we looked at what all that meant and what it didn't mean. When you place yourself under the headship of your husband, you are being obedient, not to your husband, but to God. Well, Pastor Clay is going to go back to verse 18 briefly to share a couple of more truths about a wife's submission to her husband. And then we're going to take a look at verse 19 and a husband's responsibility to love their wives and not be embittered against them. God's saying this in the context of what he's just told wives. Wives submit, so God's balancing that because God knows men. He knows our tendency would be to take advantage of a woman who would place herself under our leadership. As with the wife's role, Pastor Clay is going to show us what that means and what it doesn't mean. Marriages today are certainly under attack. And if a marriage is going to not only survive, but thrive, both husbands and wives need to know God's expectations for them. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's message from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. We are uh, in the midst of uh, the book of Colossians, and we are in the midst of the part where where the Apostle Paul, man, he really gets down in our mess, doesn't he? If you've been following along in this series, we're at a part where where he really, the, the Apostle Paul, the writer of the book of Colossians, he really gets down in our mess. Uh, when he's talking about theology for the first uh, couple of chapters of the book, you know, okay, that's good, and that's all right. And as we've gone on to the second half and gotten to the more practical aspects, getting a hold of some of that, but now uh, beginning to deal in uh, Colossians 3 and, and last week in verse 18 and this week in verse 19 and on uh, through the, that latter part of chapter 3, really begins to talk about the very, very practical issues of our lives. And specifically in the context of verses eight, verse 18, uh, the role and the responsibility of a wife within the marriage. And in verse 19, the role and the responsibility of a husband in marriage. And he doesn't, he, he doesn't uh, sugarcoat it. He doesn't hold anything back. He just, he just dives right into it. He's very short with these statements, sometimes almost terse in the way he says uh, these things. But he's getting to the heart of what goes on in the family and in the home. He's really getting to, here's what Christ looks like in the home. It's one thing to talk about him, you know, uh, overall or, you know, all this kind of stuff. But to, to, here's how it actually looks in the home. Uh, it's been said that 
marriage is uh, a man and a woman coming together as one. The trouble starts when they try to decide which one. I read that uh, somebody said that marriage means commitment, but so does insanity. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny when I read it. Um, somebody else uh, said that, uh, that when a marriage starts out, when a couple get married and they get together, when a marriage starts out, uh, the, the man talks and the woman listens. Later, the woman talks and the man listens. Eventually, they both talk and the neighbors listen. It's marriage, and it isn't easy. Um, I like this quote from Claire Cloninger. I think she kind of captures what we're talking about here. She says, I figure that the degree of difficulty in combining two lives ranks somewhere between rerouting a hurricane and finding a parking place in downtown Manhattan. One is impossible, and the other one, from what I understand, is pretty close to impossible. As I said last week, anybody that has done marriage longer than the honeymoon knows that it is not easy. Two imperfect people dwelling under the same roof in close proximity to one another is a formula for disaster, unless that man and that woman determine that they are going to do marriage God's way. Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read again this morning, verses 18 through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Join me in prayer. Lord God, again today we ask that you would teach us the truth of your word. This really is, uh, I guess, about as practical as it gets. It's, it's the home. It's the family. It's my responsibility as a, as a husband, specifically today, uh, Father, but as a parent. And Paul goes on in and he delves into the workplace and just the stuff that's really where we live on a daily basis. And uh, for those in this room that are followers of Jesus, I think I can speak for us when I say that we want to get it right, uh, Father. We want to honor you. We sang this morning, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God in the highest, the God in the heavens. But we bring glory to you by bringing it down here to earth. And it's what comes out of our life, what comes from our hands, our, our mouth, our mind. And so uh, today, as we look at, uh, again, at the role and responsibility of a wife and kind of finish that up and then look to a, a husband and his responsibility, I ask that you would just uh, accomplish your purposes, help us to uh, just focus on really what your word says in the end. That's all that matters, uh, not what even I say, not what uh, we think or a person feels or their neighbor tells them, but what do you say, uh, Lord God, in your word? May our marriages, if, if we're married, if you're here, a person is married, Lord God, I pray that our marriages would be stronger, that they would be healthier, that our lives would be a greater reflection of you and that you would receive the glory, not only from our individual lives, but actually from our home, from our marriages. In Jesus' name.
Amen. We uh, looked at last week uh, verse 18 of Colossians chapter 3. And, and what is a hard saying, especially in the culture in which uh, we live. But I started with making this what I would call a truth declaration. And that is that submission is not a dirty word. And if you were here, you know what, what all we talked about. Again, if you weren't here and you'd like to know more, go back, listen online. Uh, you can have it. Anyway, you do that. Um, but we start with this idea that submission is not a dirty word. Verse 18 said, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord or as is fitting in the Lord. And we talked about what all that meant and we talked about what all that didn't mean. But just to refresh your memory just a little bit, some of the things that we said as a result of this is that first it's volitional. Now, if you're here last week, you may remember that I, that I used the term voluntary. And, uh, and, and, that, and that's okay, um, but uh, I had a discussion this week with uh, Eric, and, and we were just talking about it, and I think he made some, some good points. And if you were here last week, and I said it's voluntary, and then I explained that that doesn't mean that, that you can just choose this, that this is God's expectation on your life as a wife. But your husband has no right to demand this of you, we talked about the tense, you know, and the, the, or what it was in, in in the original language and that it's in this middle voice and what that meant. But uh, that your husband can't demand this of you. This, your husband shouldn't try and force this on you. This is a choice that you have to make. You have to desire to honor and glorify God. And you do that in this case as a wife by placing yourself under the headship of your husband. So it is volitional in the sense that your husband cannot force you or should not force you to do it. But it is God's expectation on your life that you would do it. And that word voluntary, if you go back and look at your notes uh, a year from now and you pull that out and, and without my explanation, you might say, oh, see right there, I don't have to do this. It's voluntary. <laughs> no, God truly, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is God's expectation on your life as a wife. So we said it was volitional. The second thing that we said is that it is Christ-like. That a wife is really being like Christ when she places herself under the headship of her husband. And uh, the, the example we gave of that was Christ himself, God the Son. We went all through the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all co-equal. And yet, God the Son willingly placed himself under the headship of God the Father to accomplish the purposes of redeeming mankind so that you and I could be forgiven and could have a relationship with God. God the Son placed himself under the headship of his Father to come and do that. And yet he was no less than the Father. He, he wasn't unequal to the Father or the Spirit for that matter. So when a wife places herself under the headship of her husband, she is being Christ-like. The third thing that we said last week is that it's practical. It, it's just practical uh, to, to understand that in the end, somebody has to have the responsibility of making decisions. And, and most times those decisions, and I'll talk a little bit more about that this morning, most decisions are, are made together and it's not an issue. It becomes an issue in a partnership when two individuals feel very strongly about some important subject and, and they reach an impasse. What do they do? Well, it's just practical. God knew what he was doing when he said, I've given this responsibility to the husband on those, in, in instances where decisions have to be made. And as I said, husbands better be 
communicating with their wives. They better be consulting with their wives. They better asking their wives their, their opinion and their thoughts and, and what they think God is saying to them. And, and the husband that doesn't do that, I think the word that I used was, is an idiot, right? A husband that doesn't seek out his wife's counsel and, and come to her and say, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about buying a Ferrari. What do you think? You know, uh, <laughs> so he's an idiot if he doesn't consult his wife. A husband that just hands down edicts and says, well, this is the way it is. Yeah, that's not God's intention. But it's, it's very practical. Now, I want to continue this idea today and uh, finish up wives, and then I'll uh, pick on us husbands for a little bit. But there are a couple more ideas that I wanted to share about a wife and this idea that submission is not a dirty word. The fourth idea that I want to share this morning is that it is freeing. Ladies, it's freeing. When you understand that God has an expectation on your husband to make decisions in your home, and that that expectation and that responsibility has not been placed on you, it becomes very freeing for a wife. That when you place yourself under the headship of your husband, you are being obedient. Not to your husband, but to God. And when you are obedient to God, it's very freeing. Now, I understand that that sounds contradictory. It sounds like uh, an oxymoron. How can coming under obedience be freeing? Well, that's just how God works. And that's what it is. Now, practically speaking, on a day-in and day-out basis... Most husbands and wives discuss subject matters and they come to agreement on decisions that have to be made. That, that we do it every day, don't we? And some decisions are, ju- are just totally made by a wife, by mutual agreement between a husband and his wife. But there are some decisions that are made in life that have a profound effect on our lives and on our marriages. And with those decisions, like some of the everyday stuff, okay, that's not that big. But with some of those decisions comes the weight. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Man or woman, do you know what, well, when I say the weight of responsibility? Have you felt that before in your life? The weight of responsibility. With those types of decisions comes the weight of responsibility. And God, in His sovereignty, has chosen to not put that weight... Upon a wife. Now, it does not make a wife, it does not make a woman in any way inferior to a man because God has chosen to not put that responsibility, that weight on her. It doesn't make her less. It doesn't make her inferior. It's just not what she was created to do. It's like, um, I wish I had a high heel shoe. That was my wife. Y'all see that? <laughs> Brings back bad memories. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Oh, well. I, I, wish I, had a, I wish I had a board with a nail in it. <laughs> Wait for my guitar. All right. Now, I, I, and I really, I think I've seen my wife do this before. I, I really do. I got a, I got a nail... Got to nail it in. All right, right? Any of y'all ever done this? Seen a lady do this? 
Now listen, you might can have some success at this, right? If you hammer long enough, If you work at this long enough, you, you might, I think it's actually going in. Oh, it's about to come out the other side. I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, you might can have some success with this. You might can drive this nail in. But listen, listen. If you drive enough nails, eventually this high heel shoe is going to tear apart. Why? Because it's not made to do this. Y'all get the point? It doesn't make a wife inferior. It's just not what God has created her to do. That God has different purposes and plans for a wife. And a wife that places herself under the headship of her husband actually experiences the freedom of knowing that she's walking in obedience to Jesus Christ. But he might make some bad choices. My family might have to suffer as a result of it. If I don't agree with his decision and he makes that decision anyway and it's the wrong decision, my family, my children, our children might have to suffer as a result of, the, of, of his bad choices. Yep, I didn't say it was easy. I just said it was right. That when you place yourself under your husband's leadership, good decision, bad decision, deserves to have the authority, doesn't deserve to have the authority, whatever. If he makes choices that are self-centered and self-serving and self-gratifying and ultimately not in your best interest, if he makes choices that are, that are not in your best interest and it ends up hurting you or, or, or you have to suffer as a result of this, listen to me, ladies. God is holding your husbands accountable. He is. And that may not mean anything to you when you're in the midst of having to go through it. But as some of you have heard me say many times before, if you place yourself under the headship of your husband, you're being obedient to God. And if you're obedient to God, you're honoring God. And if you honor God with your life, God will honor you. It's free. Now, some of you out here are perhaps single moms, having to raise your children, make all the decisions for yourself. What about me? I've got to make those choices. Uh, maybe there's not a husband in the home, or maybe there's not a husband in the home who's spiritual and not, not willing to take responsibility. Or make, well, and I have to end up making all decisions. What, 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 what? Let me just say to you, I, I'm sorry. For whatever the reasons were that caused it, I'm sorry you're, that, that, that's something you're having to experience in your life. And all I can say to you is that you need to pray and ask for an extra measure of God's grace in your life. You need to pray and ask for God's power to supernaturally make it possible for you to to make the decisions that you're being forced to make and that you're having to make and ask for God to strengthen you along the way. So it's freeing. Well, I've got to move on. It's more I can say about that, but I I just can't. I've got to move on. Let me say, I have one more idea about ladies I need to share with you, and that's this. It's got an exception. It's got an exception. There is an exception to submitting to or placing yourself under the headship of your husband. Some of you ladies said, oh, praise Jesus. I knew there was. I knew there was. (laughs) Give it to me. The exception is actually a universal one. Whether we're talking about a wife placing herself under the headship of her husband, whether we're talking about children submitting to their parents, whether we're talking about uh, children, Church members submitting to their, to their pastors, whether we're talking about uh, individuals submitting to their government, it's really a universal truth. And that is this. 
No one has to submit to something that conflicts with God's word and will. A husband that asks you to do something that is contrary to God's will. Now listen to me, ladies. I'm not saying, well, I just don't think God would want me to do that. That's not I'm saying, what does God's word clearly reveal? And there's no expectation on God's part that you would have to do that. Let me give you a biblical example from Acts chapter 5. The disciples, it's shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. He's gone back to heaven. The church is exploding and they're going everywhere talking about Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, it says, When they had brought them, them being the disciples, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders. Remember, the priests, the religious, they had, they had governmental authority. The Roman government had given jurisdiction to the Jewish religious leaders to basically exercise government and law over the Jewish people. Rome was ultimately in charge, but they'd given this to the religious leaders. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man, Jesus, bring this man's blood upon us. Here it is. But Peter and the apostles answered. Would y'all say that with me? We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. There may be times when there's an exception. And through prayerful just seeking God's direction, seeking out His Word and what His Word says, a wife or whoever it might be needs to determine that and whether it is. But there, there is an exception to this idea of placing yourself under the headship of your husband. Now, let's talk about us men. What do we need to do to get our act together? Right? Paul... Very specific when it gets to men as well. We have responsibilities and there's expectations on men. And uh, I thought I'd have a little fun with this, kind of uh, start out this section with a, with a song that uh, some of you may or may not have heard. By the way, let me say this. Um, I'm not going to turn into the uh, singing uh, preacher, like singing cowboys. I'm not going to break out my guitar every week. But uh, I've been fooling around with this song a little bit. And uh, so I thought I'd sing it uh, for you, play it. Now... I, the reason I couldn't get Michael Pope to do this song. <laughs> was that funny, Michael? That's right. That's right, Ernie. He's not married. He's not married. And if you're not married, you can learn from this song, Michael. Pay attention. All right? This is, uh, this is Marriage 101 right here for guys. All right, let's see if I can get this up here, Lou. Um... You hear that? Is it picking it up? Rick? It is? Okay. Um, you know, we're talking about guys, talking about ladies, talking about things we should do, not do, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, guys, there's some stuff that you just don't need to say to your wife, right? Y'all heard this song? Y'all heard this song? Now, let me just tell you, somebody, just before the service started, I was up here seeing the guitar and all that kind of stuff. And somebody brought money right up to the front row and was paying me money to not play. And uh, told me not to quit my day job. I don't intend to do that. Um, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite secure in my uh, uh, inabilities. So, guys, pay attention. These are things you don't say to your wife.
Hey, honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? The, dr the dress you're wearing reminds me of an old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking? I'm just trying to watch the game. If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. Comes verse two. You ready, guys? Let's see how the verse two goes. <laughs> I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you, but I knew it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show. I taped it over our old wedding video. If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. Solo. Okay. Third verse. Your cooking is okay, but not like mama makes. The diamond in your ring I bought you is a fake. Your eyes look puffy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary. I bought you a treadmill. If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. I said, if you're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife, these are the things you don't say to your wife. All right. So we could just offer the invitation right after that. That would be good. All right, here's a few other things that you need to keep in mind. Husbands, uh, for the wives, we said that submission is not a dirty word, right? Husbands, love is not a selfish word. Love is not a selfish word. Verse 19 says this. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. There are two verbs in play in that verse. Love and don't be bitter. Both of them are imperatives, meaning that they are commands. Both of them are in a present continual tense, meaning that this is something that has to be practiced on a continual basis daily in your lives. Love, don't be bitter. Both are imperatives. Both are in a present continual tense. Now, let's see if we can kind of break these two verbs apart and talk about it in the time that we have uh, this morning. Let's start first with love, the verb love. In the Greek language that the New Testament was originally written in, there were several words that they would use that are translated into English as simply love. But they'd have very specific meanings. And some of you have heard this before. Some of you are hearing it for the first time. Um, 
the Greeks predominantly had three words. They, there were more than that, actually. There's at least four that I can think of. But there were predominantly three words that they used to describe aspects of love. In English, it's just translated as love. Those words look like this. The first word is eros. Eros refers to the physical, sensual, sexual love. It's okay to say that. It's what it is. The second word is phileo, and it refers to a friendship or a brotherly kind of love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is where the term comes from. And agape. Agape is, the best way I can describe it is, it's others-centered love. Now, I'll get into more details here in a minute, but agape is others-centered love. Anybody care to guess which word is used here in verse 19? That's right, agape. Husbands, others-centered love your wives. Focus on your wife love. Make your wife your priority love. Husbands, agape love your wives. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with those other aspects of, of love. They, they are part of the, the marital relationship between a husband and wife, um, eros and phileo are part of that relationship, right? I mean, they, they, they just go, they're, they're part of it, and they're fine, and that's absolutely acceptable. I, I, as a husband, I am my wife's lover. I am my wife's friend. Can I say that here? Is that all right? I just did. I just, I, um, so those, those are part of it, but only agape truly focuses completely on the other person. Only agape makes the other person the priority. Husbands, agape your wives. Now, um, let me just say that ultimately, I believe, only agape lets you fulfill the other command in that verse, the other verb, which is do not be embittered. Love your wives and do not be embittered against them. The word bitter or embittered carries the idea of sharp or, or harsh. It would bring with it uh, feelings of anger and resentment and, and that type of thing. But if I agape, if I prioritize my wife, if she is the priority of my life, then it will keep me from ever getting to this place of bitter, sharp, or harsh. Because can I tell you something, guys? As unbelievably amazing as our wives, wives are, they are not perfect. Like us, they will fail. They, they do incredible things. There's a movie, just, I think, just came out this week called How Does She Do It or How Does She Do That or something like that. And it's, I think that's kind of part of the idea. Is that how, how do wives do all that they do? How do they put up with us? They, they do amazing things. They're incredible, but they're not perfect. And can I, I assure you, if, if you're planning on getting married, if you're not married and you're planning on getting married, you, your wife is going to fail you. She won't always get it right. And when she doesn't, the, the, the potential is there for this, to become sharp or harsh or resentful or angry because she doesn't meet up to our expectations. She doesn't do it quite the way we thought that it should be done. She doesn't meet my needs the way I thought my needs, the way I feel like my needs should be met. And it's amazing how quickly we can 
can put the focus on us and how, as husbands and how we're not, she's not measuring up and meeting our needs. And it, the problem is with her and I become embittered against her. I heard about a, a guy that uh, was sick. He was in a coma uh, for an extended period of time. And his wife stayed there by his side the whole time. And at one point he came to and uh, he, he, she's right there, you know, but he asked her to lean in because he's got a real weak voice. And, and he says to her, he says, you know, you've been with me through all the bad times. When I lost my job, you were there. When, when my business fell apart, you were there. That time I got shot, you were there. When we lost the house, you were there. And, and as my sickness increased, you were there. When I think about that, I think you bring me bad luck. Because <laughs> I'm not, not meeting my, my needs, right? not, not measuring it, not coming to me, right? I, uh, it's a very perceptive quote. Uh, I want you to see this quote. Uh, from uh, R.C., I forget his last name, uh, on this specific verse. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, and a husband's responsibility to love his wife and not be embittered against her. Look what he says. How horrifyingly easy it is for us to destroy human relationships, even the closest and dearest. It is in making ourselves into the Lord we serve that others are destroyed by us. Wow. Because they have not served us as we think we deserve, we seek vengeance. Embittered, angry. Husbands, prioritize your wife and do not become embittered against them. Because the temptation will be to do exactly that. By the way, for anybody, husband or wife, to become embittered when our spouse doesn't measure up. But remember, God's saying this in the context of what he's just told wives. Wives submit, so God's balancing that with husbands agape your wives. Because God knows men, he knows our hearts, he knows our tendency would be to take advantage of a woman who would place herself under our leadership. And so he says, no, you better, you better love her agape style. So real quickly, here's what that looks like. I did want to go to Ephesians 5 because... Uh, in Colossians 3, you know, you read those verses, and like I said, it's almost kind of terse. Paul's very short. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, husbands, love your wives. Uh, children, obey your parents. He just boom, 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 gives these commands. In Ephesians, in his, in his letter to the church in, in Ephesus, he gives a little more depth and explanation to basically the same commands. Here's what he says in Ephesians 5. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present to her, her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. That's, that's why Christ did what he did. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. Talking about the church, the body of believers. In the same way. Husbands, if you're here and your husband or just a man in general, would you read this, to, with, this with me? In the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. 
There's, there's the definitive description of agape love where, it comes, where it's concerned with a husband and a wife. Husband, love your wives exactly as Christ loved the church. So here's what it looks like. It is, first off, sacrificial. It's sacrificing. Paul leaves no room for misinterpretation. Clay is called to love Cindy exactly as Jesus Christ loved the church. And remember, the church is not a building. The church are those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. We are the church. And Christ loved us so much that he did what for us? Died for us. Husbands, love your wives exactly as Christ loved the church. Now, uh, through the years, I've done lots of uh, premarital counseling. And in my premarital counseling, many, many times, uh, I have through the years asked a groom uh, two questions because I've read Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, uh, two couples oftentimes, and and I've usually asked them two questions. First question being, how much did Jesus Christ love the church? To which they almost always get it right, by the way. He loved the church enough to die for it. And so the second question that follows then is, what does that mean then for your love for your wife after you get married? And more than a few potential husbands have gotten this one wrong. Because they respond with something like, well, I, I, I need to be willing to die for my wife. Survey says, Argh! because the text doesn't say anything about Jesus being willing to die for the church, does it? The text says that Jesus died for the church. Husbands, love your wives exactly like Christ loved the church. In other words, guys, we're called to die. See, ladies, you thought you had it rough. You have to submit. He's got to die. Now, obviously, in in the context, Jesus is referring to his death. He died physically so that we could be redeemed. But in the context of both Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, clearly what what he's referring to is a husband's daily role in the life of of his family and of his marriage. Not necessarily to die physically, although I certainly would hope that that any husband in here would be more than willing to lay down his life physically and die for his wife if that circumstance arose. But on a daily basis, to die to my wants, my ambitions, my dreams, my needs, my anything, when they conflict with what is in the best interest of my wife, I have to die. I have to let go of that. It's sacrificing. Ladies and gentlemen, and that's what we're called to do. Look at this uh, passage of Scripture in John chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Now, I don't know who you would be the greater priority in your life than your wife. So, without question, we know we're called to sacrifice as followers of Jesus. So, why wouldn't that sacrifice begin with the one who is our priority, and that's our wife? Here's a second idea. Real quick, got to fly through these. Um, yeah, that's a good question just to be asking yourself. Are the decisions I'm making on a daily basis, are they, are they in the best interest of my wife? Second, it's serving. It's serving. Again, we know we're supposed to serve as followers of Jesus. Everybody knows we're supposed to serve. Why wouldn't that service begin with the one who is the priority of our life? Um, this passage in Matthew chapter 20, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to, what is that word? Say it with me out loud. Come on, serve. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Service. In uh, John, I think it's chapter 21, something like that, uh, Jesus served them bread and fish. This, this is the Son of God, the creator of the universe. And he's a table waiter. And even more than that, in John chapter 13, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father, watch this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, what does he do? He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Isn't it interesting that at the moment that John says that that Jesus knew that all authority had been given to him, that the first thing he does as an act of authority is say, get up, wash my feet, what are you doing? Get some water, get a towel. No, he picks up the towel. He picks up the water and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Guys, we, we got to serve. We, we, and, and there's always, uh, man, I, I'm so bad at it. We got to serve. We got to work at serving our wives because we love exactly as Christ loved the church. Here's a third one. Um, it's giving. Now, obviously, material gifts given to our, our wife can never put us in bad status with our wives. Am I right, ladies? That can never be a bad thing. But what about, what about things like just giving your wife security? To know that her husband is going to be there for her. He's, he's not going to bail out. He's not going to walk away. He's not going to give up. And just, she just knows. What about the gift of communication? Talking more. <laughs> right? Well, you guys, we had communication. What about the gift of communication? What about the gift of touch? Oh, I'm all for that one. She just don't want to touch back. Oh, really? Really? No. Just holding them or touching them or caring about them. What about those kind of gifts? It's giving. Um, of course, the greatest example, you know, and you probably all know this verse, John three sixteen. Would you say it with me, please? For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's agape love. It's sacrificing, it's serving, it's giving. And one more, I've got to get to it. I know we're running a little bit late, but, but I've got to get to this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is something else you need to remember. Guys, keep this in mind. It's protecting. Certainly protecting our, our spouses and our family from the things of this world and, and the dangers and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we can think, okay, robbers or, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But how about protecting them from, from television that's not appropriate or uh, from clothing that's not appropriate, or from, I know I'm meddling, but I'm just saying, uh, what are some ways that husbands protect their spouses? Can I say this too, and hopefully not get uh, hung? (laughs) Sometimes husbands, guys, protecting our spouses, protecting our wives may mean protecting them from themselves. Now here's here's what I mean by that. Way back in the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve, they're there. God has given them all this stuff. And the serpent comes and he begins to to deceive Eve into thinking that God's just trying to keep them down. God just doesn't want them to be like him. 
And she begins to convince Eve that, that this fruit is going to make you wise and it's going it's to look good, it's going to taste good, and you know you want this, this fruit, you know you want to do this. Let me ask you a question. Where was Adam? Where was the head of the home at that moment? Because the text implies he was standing right beside her. Look at this. Genesis chapter 3, I think it is. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and watch this, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. I'm going to tell you something. At that moment, Adam should have turned in his man card because he was not being the man that God had called him to be. Where was Adam? Why didn't Adam step between Eve and the serpent and say, whoa, 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 now wait just a minute. Eve, don't listen to him, because what he's saying is a lie. This is what God has said. And why didn't Adam step forward and say, now Eve, you know I love you. You know, I'll fetch you fruit anytime, Eve. I'll go to the farthest end of the garden to get you whatever you want. And, and, and Eve, I know this fruit looks good, probably tastes like cheesecake. <laughs> but Eve, God said, don't eat this fruit, and I'm not going to let you eat it. I know you want to. I know you think it's going to be good for you. But Eve, it's not, and I'm not going to let you eat it. That's agape love. It's sacrificing, it's serving, it's giving, and it's protecting. Husbands, agape, sacrificially. Serving, giving, protecting love, your wives. And here's the cool thing about it, guys and ladies. I think you would agree with me with this, and then we'll close. We've got a baptism to get to. I have never yet, and I, you, know, you may come up to me and say, oh yeah, I would be one. But I have never yet met a woman that had an issue submitting to a man that would love her like that. I've never met a woman that wouldn't be willing to place herself under the leadership of a husband that was making every decision based on what was, it, what was in his wife's best interest. I find just the opposite be true. I find wives that would say, if, if, he would, if, he would just, if he would just be there for me, if he would just protect me, if he would just uh, communicate with me, if he would just uh, do those things, man, I, I'd, I'd love to come up under his leadership. And when they do, when it, wait, listen, and again, let me say it. We don't always get it right. Your wife won't always get it right. Husbands won't, won't, won't always get it right. But when we get it right, we, we create this beautiful thing called marriage God's way. And it is fulfilling. It is rewarding. It is enriching. It is good. Agape love. How did Pastor Clay put it? It's an others-centered love. God's word is clear that a wife should be treated like the priority of her husband's life. Every decision he makes should be made with her and his family in mind. And when his wants, needs, or desires conflict with what is in his wife's best interest, a husband must sacrifice for the good of his wife. A wife who is treated that way usually has little trouble submitting to her husband's authority. As we learned today, God is holding husbands responsible for the way they treat their wife. Neither a wife or a husband gets it right all the time, but when we are striving to do marriage the way God intended, the way God designed, we'll experience a marriage that is fulfilling, rewarding, and most important of all, God-honoring. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. 
Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.